Today, um, after the meet and greet, Pastor Dan is going to be teaching. And Dan is, uh, he and his wife have been leading the children's ministry for quite some time, like a year already or something. Yeah. So uh, they're doing a great job. They're very, very committed, and they have a lot of energy, and they just have a wonderful attitude. And then Dan also got ordained recently and is on staff, and so he and I and Pastor Vince and Rob are upstairs and Marianne at the church office manager desk, and we just yuck it up every, every week, and we just have a lot of fun together. And so Dan and I have been rotating on Wednesday nights teaching, alternating, and so he's been getting a lot of time in, and so he's going to be um, teaching us this morning. But the Bible says, I'm going to read a verse to you guys. Um, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so that's been going on as um, I was able to pass the church last year to Rob, and, and Rob just has really been investing in Dan and, and me too a little bit. And so we're really pleased to have him stepping up into an assisting pastor, assistant pastor role. Pastor Vince and I are still here helping. I'm traveling a lot now as a missionary pastor, but Dan is kind of the go-to guy. So if you need anything, um, go, go to him and he can kind of point you in the right direction or help you with it directly. And so uh, we're going to be blessed to have Dan teaching this morning. Well done, son. Oh. <laughs> so just welcome him when he comes up. Let's, uh, let's pray for uh, Merit right now, shall we? And then we'll have a time to meet and greet each other. Father, thank you so much that you, um, you have us pass the baton from century to century, from generation to generation. Your church goes on, Lord, and that's your design. And so we thank you for that. And Thank you for uh, everyone that is serving at this church. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be moved by you, God, uh, and you alone, Lord, to serve you, either here in the church or out in the community, wherever it might be, that we wouldn't be, uh, as it's said, couch potato Christians, Lord, but that we'd be serving you energetically, Lord. And we pray for Merritt this morning, Father, as he is uh, suffering and uh, going through great physical uh, ailments, Lord, that you bring healing to him and peace to he and his wife, Patty. Bless them, God, and give them great hope and great trust in you, great expectation in you. So thank you, Father. And we do ask your blessings on Dan as he teaches us today. Bless Pastor Rob and Jessica as they are still on vacation, and we commit this day to you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. There's a lot more people to look at than Wednesday, so I'll do my best. Thank you, Pastor Bill, for the intro. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dan. Very happy and excited to be here this morning. Three steps up from my usual spot, so this is very cool. We're going to be in John chapter 10 today. Actually, I lied. Why don't you open to John chapter 8? John chapter 8. We'll be in 10 eventually. And before we get started, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you've gathered your people here. God, it's only because of you uh, that we're in this room. Father, you called us. You rescued us from this world and from sin. Lord, you gave your Son on our behalf, God. And it's only because of you, Father, that we're here to worship, Lord, to sing your praises, God, to tell of your goodness. 
Lord, to, uh, to fellowship with your people, Father, and now to hear from you, Lord. Please speak to us, Father, through your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. We believe in what you have said, Father, and we cherish it, God. So I ask that your word would shape us now. Please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, today we'll be taking a look at a figure of speech as John's Gospel records it. It's a wonderful and encouraging passage from the book of John where the Lord Jesus uses a seemingly quite simple illustration to communicate some very deep and profound realities concerning himself and his relationship to his people. Many of you are probably familiar uh, with this passage that depicts Jesus as the Good Shepherd. That's what this chapter is known as, the Good Shepherd. And I bet most of you have seen the paintings depicting him as such. They're very nice and, and cutesy and all that good stuff. Um, but as with all Scripture, we need context to properly and fully understand what's being said here. Uh, because without context, it can say just about anything, can it? And unfortunately, I'm not just continuing in Romans with you know, three months of, of backtracking context. So we're going to have to set the stage for chapter 10. So we'll start by referencing some sections of chapter 8 and 9 as well. It's nothing in the life of Jesus happens in isolation or by accident. It's a story built not only on all of biblical history, but on itself as well. And particularly at this point in his ministry, the tension between Jesus and the Jewish leadership of the time is reaching its peak. And this is very important when it comes to grasping what chapter 10 is all about. See, the Lord is continually bringing charges against the Jews and their opposition to him, and his message continues to escalate because of it. So in chapter 10, we know he identifies himself as the good shepherd, but he does so very much like other things, by contrasting himself with another kind of shepherd, namely the wicked shepherds of Israel that he has been long displeased with. And very much like the gospel and the glory of its good news, we can't fully understand the good news without understanding the bad news. And here, Jesus shows us the bad shepherd in order for us to fully understand how good he truly is. And there's no better example of this tension than the conclusion of chapter 8, where the Jews accuse him of being not only a sinner, but demon-possessed because of what he says to them. So we're going to start in verse 42 today of chapter 8. I'll give you a second to get there. Prepare yourselves, because this is going to be brutal. So Jesus said to them, If God were your father... You would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? <clears throat> he who is of God hears God's words. 
Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Wow. So talk about telling someone how you really feel, right? He really lays into them here and he's telling them, Abraham is not your father and neither is God. Your father is the devil. And just like him, what comes naturally to you is murder and lies. Now, obviously, we don't usually speak to people in this manner, okay? This is a a little bit foreign to us, but that is also because we do not know the future. We are not God. We don't know the intentions of other people, but he is, in fact, justified in these things. And as harsh as his indictment may sound, he speaks rightly of the Jews. Uh, We know Matthew 26 alone confirms on multiple occasions that the chief priests, the scribes, the elders had come together and plotted by trickery, by deception, to take Jesus and kill him. But outside of this, notice very specifically what Jesus says here. He he asked them, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. And then he says, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. So do you see what he's telling them here? He came from God, and not only that, he is God, and therefore he speaks with ultimate authority. And if he wasn't clear enough identifying himself here, there's no better place. He spells it out without question to end this chapter, chapter 8. If you flip forward to verse 56, he says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So guys, the next time you have someone on your doorstep or in your living room, asking you, hey, if Jesus claimed to be God, why didn't he just come out and say it? Well, he did. He did. And he couldn't have said it any more definitely than he did here. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying, and that's why they picked up stones to kill him when he referred to himself with the very same name that God used to reveal himself to Moses some 1,500 years earlier. He says, I am. So Jesus has condemned the unbelieving Jews here and he's revealed himself as Yahweh, the Lord God. Remember, in the original Greek manuscripts, there are no chapters, right? They were added in later and thank God they were. It makes it easy for navigation. But just because there's a chapter break does not mean that there's necessarily a break in the context. So chapter 9 begins directly following what just happened. And we see yet again Jesus confronting the Jewish leadership with his authority. So we're going to briefly summarize chapter 9. He heals this blind man, and the Pharisees bring the man in to question him about what happened. They want to know who did this and how he did it. And to make a long story slightly shorter, the man simply says this, Hey, no one can do what he did unless he was from God. And they cast this man out because of his testimony. Because they had all agreed at this point that anyone confessing Jesus as Savior would be thrown out of the synagogue. So this man believes on Jesus. He worships him, calling him Lord. And let me read for you how chapter 9 ends. 
which brings us right into our text for today. Beginning in verse 39, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, and therefore your sin remains. So he tells them that if they were truly blind, that wouldn't be the issue. But they claim to be able to see. They claim to be disciples of Moses. They claim to be worshipers of God. They claim to be shepherds of Israel. And yet, they deny the miraculous works that Jesus is doing right in front of them. And they are casting out those who would believe in him. So what does all this have to do with chapter 10? So glad you asked. From here we go straight into Jesus' famous figure of speech. So it's clear that chapter 10 is not a departure from, but rather a commentary on what's been happening in the previous sections. Jesus' disdain for the religious leaders of the time and their rejection of his authority and his identity. Right? He's coming onto the scene and he's saying, I have authority over my people, not you. You have been betraying God for a long time now, and that time is now coming to an end. So with that in mind, we'll move into chapter 10, and we're just going to be speaking in human terms for the time being, because that's the way that Jesus presents this metaphor. So verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the doorkeeper opens. So aren't you glad we have some context here? Because he goes on to start talking about sheep. We're kind of like, what? what? What are you talking about? So right off the bat, he's talking about the sheepfold. Now, sheepfold is simply a place where sheep are held at night. We know that shepherding was a fairly common occupation in this area and time period. During the day, the shepherd would lead his sheep out to pasture, right? And at night, the flocks would be brought into the sheepfold, which is just an enclosed and safe area for them to stay. And a mixture of multiple flocks would be held in the same fold. However many flocks from one area or village would all be held together. And since sheep were a valuable commodity at the time for wool, meat, etc., there was only one entrance into the sheepfold, and it had a doorkeeper, like a security guard or like a bouncer. And his job is to check IDs at the door to ensure that no one but the shepherds or the rightful owners of the sheep are entering in. So Jesus says anyone who enters in another way other than through the door is a thief and a robber. Now, a thief is someone who uses cunning and deception to steal, right? Like a pickpocket. They try to go unnoticed. A robber, however, uses overt force, right? Or even violence, like a mugger. They might just, you know, clock you over the back of your head and take your stuff. But he says, anyone who enters not through the door is both a thief and a robber. They do not have rightful passage into the sheepfold. But he who enters through the door is the shepherd, and to him... The doorkeeper opens. The security guard will let him in because the true shepherd has authority. He has rightful passage into the fold and into his flock. 
He comes in the proper way and with the proper intentions. And reading on in verse 3, we'll see how the sheep respond to him when he does this. Second part of verse 3, And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So if you guys think you spend a lot of time with your pets, you have absolutely nothing on the shepherd. He spends every waking hour with his sheep, tending to them, caring for them. Very much like dogs to us, sheep are hardly any different. When trained, they respond to vocal, audible commands. Right? When you yell at your dog from across the park, his head snaps over. Right? He knows your voice. When you open up the treat bag, The ears perk up, right? It doesn't matter where they are. And sheep are very much the same. In a sheepfold with many flocks in one place, each knows the distinct voice of its shepherd. And yes, they each have their own name, right? We love naming things. Why wouldn't you name your sheep? So the shepherd calls them each by name and leads them out. He brings out his own sheep. He goes before them and they follow him. And now when it says that he leads them and goes before them, this is true in literally every sense of the word. We know that sheep are the most helpful, pitiful, dependent animal on the face of the earth. And just to clue you in, that's us, right? We're sheep. And the shepherd must be on constant watch, constantly monitoring and caring for them, lest they find many of the ways to die out in the pasture. And in all of this, an intimate bond between the sheep and the shepherd is formed, which leads us into verse 5 where we learn about strangers. Verse 5 says, Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So there is a strong familiarity between the sheep and the shepherd. Because the sheep associate the shepherd with everything pertaining to life, right? For safety, food, water, shelter, rescue. All of this is associated with the voice of the shepherd. And once they develop this bond with the shepherd, they cannot be led away by a stranger's voice. No matter what kind of disguise he puts on, the voice cannot be counterfeited. Now it says that Jesus gave them this figure of speech Hopefully you guys are seeing the dots connect here, but they don't understand. As usual, they don't understand. So now he begins to explain for us, beginning in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he is the door. Now a door is a way of exit as well as a way of entrance, isn't it? It goes both ways. So spiritually speaking, Jesus is the exit from this world, from the bondage of sin and guilt. He's the exit from the wrath and the judgment of God. But he's also an entrance. He's an entrance to restored relationship with the Father. He's the entrance to forgiveness, to eternal life. And there is no other way. There is one door. He is the proper means of access. 
And only through him does a shepherd have rightful passage into the sheep. And anyone that goes another way is a thief and a robber. And all who ever came before him, he says, are thieves and robbers. So who is he referring to here? Remember what we read in chapters 8 and 9. Jesus has come to do away with the false shepherds of Israel who were leading his flock astray, who not only denied him, but abused and slandered those who would confess him as Lord. Why? Why did they do this? Well, things were set up pretty well for them before Jesus comes onto the scene, right? Socially, they were seen as the holy guys, and they loved this. They loved for people to see how righteous they were. They loved to be seen in their rule following, in their law keeping, in their washing of hands, in their ceremonies, and their traditions. And they also held a high place of authority among the Jewish people at this point in time. And they enjoyed that authority so much that when Jesus comes to claim that authority that was rightly his, they want him dead because they did not receive their authority from God. They seized it by other means, whether that be social, political, financial means, through lies, through deception, through overt violence. Jesus condemns here anyone attempting to exercise authority over his people outside of him, outside of the door. Not as true shepherds of God's flock, but as deceivers serving only themselves. But fortunately, verse 8 tells us that the sheep did not hear them. Now, which sheep sheep are these? His sheep, his sheep. Remember verse 3, the shepherd's sheep hear his voice and follow him. They will not listen to another. So this echoes right back to his criticisms of the Jews in the previous chapters. And it all relates to his word and their ability to hear it, their ability to accept it, their ability to confess it. Remember in chapter 8, he says, You do not hear my words because you are not of God. You feed only yourselves and you rule over the people. You are thieves and robbers who did not enter through the door. But verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. Now this statement uh, mirrors many Old Testament passages that depict the daily lives of God's people and his promise to be their shepherd. And anyone that would be a shepherd must do it recognizing that Jesus is the ultimate shepherd of all men. And put simply, anyone who enters the flock or the family of God through Jesus Christ, he will be saved. And he promises that we will go about our days and see his glory. We will find pasture, we'll find rest, we'll find security in him. And he doesn't stop there. He makes even more distinction between himself and the Jewish leadership here in verse 10. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known 
by my own. So these so-called shepherds that have come not through Jesus, but through their own means, the very ones who are supposed to lead and guide and go before the people, are instead turning the people away from Christ for their own selfish gain. And ultimately, who are they stealing from? They're stealing from God. They're sneaking into His flock to kill and destroy and lead astray. They're stealing from His glory. They're stealing from the authority that is rightly His. And they're exalting themselves and their own righteousness. And they take pride, right, in their law-keeping. And therefore, they are unable to hear the voice of the Savior. And they're destroying the very people that they have leadership over by turning them away from Him. And these same deceivers have always been around. And I assure you, they're just as abundant today as ever. Just as Ezekiel prophesied against the shepherds of Israel 600 years before Christ, I'm telling you today, the same false shepherds are out there. They may dress differently, right? They may look a little different from the ancient Jew, but at the core, they're very much the same. And they follow the same patterns and for the same reasons as these false shepherds of Israel. These chapters in the book of John find their center and revolve around the identity and the authority of Jesus Christ and the rejection of both of these things by the Jews at the time. And we can learn a lot from this, you guys. There are many out there that will undermine the final authority of Jesus and His Word, seeking their own glory. And they deny His identity as the Lord God Almighty, and in doing so, lead many people astray. But our Lord, on the other hand, came that His people may have life and have it abundantly. So what does it mean to have life? What does it mean? Well, this very same book, John chapter 1, verse 1, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John goes on to write in chapter 14, Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. So true life is not found in experiences or in a set of principles or achievements. It's found in a person. It is found in a person. All the people in this world are trying to find life outside of Christ. They're looking for it everywhere but where it can be found in pleasure, in relationships, in successes, in accomplishments. But none of those things last, do they? They all ultimately find their end. But that person, that person that came to bring life to the world, the person, Jesus the Lord, came not only to give life, but to give it abundantly and eternally. I don't know about you guys, but before Christ came into my life, looking back now, I can say to you from the deepest part of my heart that I was not really alive before Jesus. Did I have good experiences? Yes, of course I did. I love roller coasters. Great. Did I have good relationships? Yes, of course. Friends, family, loved ones. Did I follow certain principles? Sure I did. Everybody has principles that they follow. Sometimes they break them. Sometimes they don't. Whatever. Did I have goals? 
Of course I had goals. I'll let you know what my main goal was. My main goal was doing what I wanted when I wanted, right? And I was doing pretty good at that. I was very successful in that uh, for all intents and purposes. I wanted to be my own God, right? That's what the human heart wants outside of the Savior. And there's no end to the desires of the flesh. We all sought life in so many other things. And guess what? It's always on to the next thing. As soon as the pleasure of this thing fades, we seek life in something else or in someone else. So what is it to have life abundantly, to have it more abundantly? Again, so many have misused this verse, again, for their own gain, right? Stealing the glory from the Lord. Is abundant life in more great experiences, more travel destinations, maybe? Better health, better finances? No. Before Him, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Plain and simple as that. I know you guys have all been sitting here through Romans, so I don't need to beat you over the head with our deadness outside of Christ. Without Him, we were dead, and Christ made us alive. And not only that, but we now have fellowship with God. We're restored to Him. We have freedom from guilt and sin. We have a new relationship with Him as His sheep and as His children. We've been adopted into His family. And we walk now in newness of life, having satisfaction and contentment in Him. Not in things, not in stuff, not in places, not in other people, in Him, in the Savior, as well as all of the things that the shepherd provides for his sheep, right? That's all part of this metaphor. Safety, security, food, water, shelter, care, life. All of these things come through Him and through Him alone. Having money in the bank can change like that. In the blink of an eye, it can be there. In the blink of an eye, it can be gone. Having a home, in the blink of an eye, it can be there. The next day, it can be a pile of ash, right? We've seen this happen. Floods, earthquakes, fires. There is no security in house, in home, in money, even in relationships. The only security is in the Savior Jesus. And all this time, he's been comparing himself, right, by contrast to these leaders of Israel. And now he reveals this most wonderful reality to his listeners the relationship that the Good Shepherd has with his own. I haven't seen anyone sleeping today. I'm, I'm very encouraged by that because if any of you have been just sleeping with your eyes open, now is the time to listen. Guys, <laughs> an abundant life. Don't miss this. An abundant life is one that has Jesus in His rightful place. That is what an abundant life looks like. An abundant life is a life where His authority and His identity are recognized and worshipped and seen as such. It's a life that acknowledges and follows Him as Savior, as Shepherd, as King, and as God. Because he is altogether unlike the hireling who flees at the first sight of danger, not caring for the sheep. Jesus laid his life down for the sheep, for his bride, the people given to him by the Father, the people that he loves so dearly. 
a helpless flock, right, that he redeemed. He purchased with his own blood to worship him and enjoy him forever. And he is the fulfillment of God's promise to prevail in the areas where men have failed so long to lead his people, to care for his people, to seek the lost, to save the lost, to bind up the wounded, to care for the sick, to nurture those who are in need. Jesus is the perfection of every godly shepherd that we read of from Abraham to Moses to David. He's the revelation of God's grace bringing both Jews and Gentiles into one fold, right? With one shepherd. He is the good shepherd of this world. And he knows us and we know him according to his word. What a wonderful thing it is to be known by him, isn't it? To be known by name. He knows every single one of us by name. And he has a new name for us awaiting us in heaven. Many of us have read the words and shuddered at the words, depart from me, I never knew you, right? Every, every Christian somewhere in the deep recesses of their soul has some little secret hidden fear about those words that have struck fear into the hearts of so many. But this passage reminds us that if we are His, it's a done deal, you guys. It is a done deal. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No thief, no robber, no murderer, and no imposter can separate us from Him. And that leads us into where I'd like to close this morning, and that is in hope and rejoicing, both for those that know Him and perhaps for those of you in here who don't as well, because He can be known, and He desires for all people to come to Him. He's gloriously revealed Himself to us through His Word, And that's what we see Jesus doing here in these passages, isn't it? He's making Himself known to the people. And those who don't want Him reject everything there is to reject about Him. His identity, His authority, His Word, His claims. But those who hear His voice cannot be turned away. They follow Him. They know His voice. They recognize the voice of their Savior and their Shepherd. He's making His power and His greatness known to His people. And I would argue to you guys, I think I can make the case pretty clearly, that one of the greatest gifts that He has ever given to mankind outside of His own life and righteousness is His words on paper. His words. If you guys have been here going through Exodus with us, been, again, beating the dead horse, circumstances change this life is always changing our surroundings are changing our situations are changing our feelings change our perceptions change our attitudes change but his word does not change it is the same and he is the same yesterday today and forever how amazing it is that we have the words and the thoughts of jesus on paper in ink in english in plain English for us to read, to have access to at any time. And we hide them in our hearts. We treasure them. Because of this, because of this book, we know who He is. We know what He is like. 
We know that He is life. We know that He is Lord. And we know that He is God. He is the beginning and the end. He is the almighty, everlasting, self-existent creator and sustainer of all things. And beside Him there is no other, He declares. And guys, the greatest treasure and the ultimate end of man is to know God, is to have fellowship with God and to be known by Him. And that is what He secured for us by offering up Himself as a sacrifice, as the ultimate sacrifice, as the Savior of all men. And if we are His, if we are His, if we hear His voice and we follow Him and we let Him lead us out of this world, out of darkness, out of ignorance and into light, into life with Him, we can sing very much like King David sang in Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He cares for me. He knows me by name. I hear His voice and I follow. And no one can snatch me out of His hand. In closing today, I want to read from verse 27 through verse 30. This is really what summarizes everything that Jesus has been saying here. It really drives home all the points He's been making. Distinguishes Him as the shepherd of His people and as the Lord. He says, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. In verse 30, I and my Father are one. That is our final encouragement for the day, you guys. Those who are His sheep have been given eternal life. They will never perish. And there is absolutely nothing that can change that. Paul says, Height, nor depth, nor anything else, angels, principalities, powers, robbers, thieves, imposters, nothing can separate us from the love that He placed on us. There was nothing special about this flock. There was nothing good or particularly attractive about us. Right? We're helpless, needy, wandering about, falling into ditches, getting eaten by wolves, getting lost, falling into streams and rivers and drowning. All of this mess. He came and placed His love on us in His sovereignty. And He has called us His own and His sheep. The sheep that the Father has given to Him and He and the Father are one. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this wonderful passage. God, we thank You that You are our shepherd. Lord, that You've called us each by name. Father, and that You've secured our place with You for eternity. Lord, You are God and there is no other. Lord, we worship You today. We worship You for who You are. God, and what You've done, we thank You, Lord, that You sent Your Son, God, on our behalf to 
to take our punishment, to take our place, God, to give us everlasting life. Father, and I pray, God, that anyone in this room who has not responded to that voice, God, would open their hearts now and do so, Father, to receive the free gift that you've offered to mankind, Lord, to trust and believe in the name of Jesus for righteousness and salvation and for all things pertaining to life. God, you have secured it. You have done it by your own will, for your own good pleasure and to your glory, God. And we give you the glory for all these things. And it's in the name above every name that we thank you, in the name above every name that we pray. The one Lord, the one shepherd, the one God, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.